You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hi there, and welcome to today's session where I will be interviewing uh, Will Farnell of Farnell Clark Chartered Accountants. Now, Will is someone who is a bit of a pioneer in the accounting industry. He started doing digital a very, very long time ago. Will has some real gems to share in this episode. So if you're curious about how to build and scale a digital firm, what the next few years holds for us, where Will has focused his accounting practice to be able to to scale as well as he has and what tips he has for you to build an accounting firm which delivers a great client service and experience and at the same time is at the forefront of the digital cloud accounting revolution, then you're going to be in for a treat. So without further ado, let's get started with today's episode and I'll see you on the other side. Today, I have the pleasure of having Will Farnell with me. And Will is going to be talking about what he loves talking about, one of his favorite subjects. He's written a book on it, all about how to build and scale a digital firm. Clearly, things are changing so fast in our industry. And I think Will wrote the book a few years ago. Um, and we were just talking about whether he's going to update it. Perhaps it's time to write a new one. With the pace of changes that take place in our industry, maybe it is time for a new one because, you know, things are, are happening so fast and changing so quickly. Let's, to begin with, Will, just give a brief background about yourself and let's take it from there. Cool. Thanks, Ezra. Uh, and uh, good afternoon, everybody that's watching live and good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever uh, you might be watching on repeat. Uh, so as uh, introduction, uh, my name is Will Farnell. I set up a firm uh, called Farnell Clark uh, back in 2007. Uh, we're based in, uh, in Norwich, uh, in Norfolk. Um, and I guess uh, our story really centers around the fact that we were uh, probably one of the first 100% cloud practices globally uh, back in 2009. Um, and anybody that's kind of into to cloud tech and uh, uh, everything else has given this, this impression that the, uh, the Aussies are, are kind of way ahead of, of what we were doing. Um, so I take some pleasure in, in kind of highlighting the fact that we were doing this quite a long time ago um, and have moved through various uh, technology tools in that, in that journey. Um, but I guess... It's a combination of tech, but it's not just tech that, that makes a difference to, to what we do as a firm and what we've done. We did lots of things that, that we we like to think were fairly uh, uh, kind of innovative and, uh, and new um, over the last kind of 13 years or so that I've been running my firm in terms of the way we we deliver client experience, the way we uh, we price our services, all of the stuff that I know you you talk to uh, uh, to your groups about uh, very regularly, Reza. Uh, but we're we're fifty people now uh, in our firm, so we've grown about 35 percent year on year uh, every year for the last twelve years. Um, so I have some war stories. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. So um, let's try and piece this uh, apart. Try and make it relevant and useful for the listeners. So. To begin with, um, clearly you're, you're a pioneer, you know, you were doing this 10 years ago, like you said, when uh, perhaps many others weren't. 
there are accountants at different stages of the journey, but I'd like to think that most people listening are already on the, the cloud journey. Um, they're using the likes of Zero, QuickBooks, et cetera. They've got you know different add-ons. Tell us what it's like at the moment in your firm. So I just want to get a feel of, you know, what is the setup like? What does a digital firm look like at Final Clark at the moment? And then we could talk about, you know, where, where do you think it's heading before we start to go back into perhaps, you know, the, the growing pains and, and start to, to kind of give some, some takeaways to sure. the Sure. Um, so I think the, the, the first point is that the, the whole concept, I think, of a digital firm is, is, is about evolution. Um, so we don't, we don't stand still. Um, we, we want to be at the forefront of, of, of innovation in terms of what we do, not only with technology, but um, I was talking to a, a firm earlier on uh, today, actually, and we, we were talking about kind of the, the critical moments. And I think some of the critical moments for me in, in my firm was really getting structure right. Um, there's, there's so much that hinges on, on structuring your team in the right way to deliver the kind of service that you want to deliver to, to clients and really build on uh, the, the concept of, of delivering real client experience. It's kind of this challenge that we're really fortunate as accountants in that we have the benefit of this thing called gross recurring fees that mean as long as we don't screw up, clients keep coming back. But you've got to, it, on the downside, it, it kind of can make you really complacent in terms of there's, there's no aspiration to deliver something really unique. But the world's competitive. We're in a really competitive marketplace now. Um, and it's much easier for clients to find what they're looking for. So we have to kind of constantly strive to use our people, which is really, really important, um, to deliver a point of difference. Because when we get to the point where everybody's using zero QuickBooks for seat bank, auto entry, whatever it is, we start to all look the same again. Mm -hmm. And you have to go back kind of 20 years to a point at which all accountants kind of look the same, did the same, charged the same. Yeah. Um, and there's a risk that we get back to that if we don't think about what we do. So evolution, um, innovation is still critical. Structure uh, is, is key. Um, and still not being afraid to try new technology, but not technology for the sake of using technology, technology that's going to make a real impact to what we do for clients on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm, absolutely. No, you raised some very valid points. You're right. It's all about differentiation. How can we differentiate ourselves from others? What sets us apart from the others? What new uh, heights can we take client experience to? So talk to me a little about, 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 you know, the structure you have go, got, you know, going at, uh, at Final Clark, what kind of structure have you used to scale up to the fifty people that you have now? So, so we uh, we did what most firms do. So, when you when you grow, you start to have to think about structure. And we went through a, a kind of a cycle almost in terms of I got to about eight or nine people and we started to think, well, how best do we structure this in terms of do we have somebody that does tax and somebody else that does bookkeeping and somebody else that does payroll somebody else that does accounts and we moved to that kind of very traditional service line structure um uh, and the problem i got is that clients would say i don't know who to talk to um i used to talk to will and will doesn't want to talk to me anymore and i don't know who i need to go to so we then said we've got to tackle that we've got to find a way to have a single point of contact so we went down what we call at the time uh, an account handler 
kind of model. So everybody had, every client had a point of contact. The mistake we made there is we pitched it too junior. So then we we relied too much on more junior members of staff that perhaps didn't have the experience to know what was important, what was ultra important, and what was kind of well, that can wait a day or two. Um, and we still had challenges in terms of clients not being responded to. So we said, well, we've got to pitch it at a higher level. So we then went out and uh, started to recruit what we call client managers um, uh, who are much more capable of understanding what's a priority and so on. And that evolved into what we what we have today, which is what we refer to as a pod structure. Um, uh, again, evolution, we're changing it again at the moment. But if I talk about where we were kind of three months ago, because it, it kind of works, um, we had teams of four, uh, and uh, each pod um, has client relationships uh, and they do everything for the client with the exception of payroll. So accounts, um, uh, personal tax, corporation tax, any business advisory work, bookkeeping, um, it's all done within the pod. Um, again, if you're going, I'm, I'm a big advocate of daily bookkeeping. Um, we'll, we'll put that out there. I know you've had various conversations on that in the past. Um, and it's a key part of our model and the pod underpins the success of that, that model. So we've got people in that pod that are processing transactions on a daily basis for our clients. We average four minutes per day per client in terms of daily bookkeeping. Um, and the pod gives us the ability to do that. And what it means in terms of the way we organize the business is that every pod can deliver about 250,000 pound in revenue. So if you're looking at scaling, it's a great model for scale because all you do is you bolt a new pod on. So when you hit 250, you create another pod um, and it gives you the ability to very easily um, scale. Cause the thing is it's, it's really easy to grow an accounting firm. It's much harder to scale an accounting firm um, as, as you'll, uh, as you'll know. Um, so it's easy to find the work. It's much harder to deliver it successfully, consistently, um, and in an efficient manner. And that's that's where the pod structures um, kind of really help. And we we keep personal tax in terms of uh, private clients or traders sit in a pod of their own, essentially. Um, so we're focused on our on our core kind of corporate businesses um, uh, in terms of limited companies and and the ancillary services that we deliver to them within that pod structure. Mm, fantastic. Now it's very uh, interesting uh, concept. So on this, uh, so, you know, what, what are the kind of the, the pain points would you say you've had with building a pod structure? So when, as and when you bring on, you know, say one, one pod is exhausted and you need to then go out and recruit a new pod, do you kind of have to recruit all four individuals at the same time to then service the new clients or, you know, how do you, how do you meet that uh, challenge when you are scaling? And also the issue of, you know, the, the skill set because then you've got to have each pod has, has to have some personal tax experience, some accounts experience, some, you know, VAT experience. Uh, how do you go about meeting the recruitment uh, yep. challenges of that? Or do you have uh, in-house training that can help to kind of bridge that gap if, if people don't have those skill sets? Yeah, um, great question. And it kind of opens up one of one of the other areas that, that obviously there's lots of conversation around in terms of uh, the pros and, and cons of, of offshoring and outsourcing. Um, we've made a very conscious decision that we we've never gone down the offshoring outsourcing route. Um, and I think if you if you have clarity over what your growth aspirations are um, uh, kind of succession planning, um, career development, 
is is absolutely critical um and we're fortunate in terms of the growth that we've we've consistently delivered means that we have uh, an ability for our for our teams to to grow um and and we've got we've got people that are kind of getting close now to uh, uh to taking on client manager roles having come in as as kind of aat uh, apprentices five five six years ago mm-hmm. um so i think succession is really important um i think in terms of the pods what we would generally do is when we get to capacity um we have a number of options. We might have people that are ready to go straight into a pod. We might take a four-person pod down to a three-person pod to start another another pod. But we know what the structure is. We know what the roles are within those pods. So it's basically a client manager, a senior, and two trainees um, is, is the way the pod's structured. So our client managers are probably three years post-qualified. Um, seniors are, are kind of... Uh, final stage ACCA, AAT qualified with three years practice experience. And then we've got a couple of AAT trainees that make up the, the pod. So there's there's clarity in terms of the roles. Um, there's buddying. So when we bring in a new trainee, they've got a buddy there that they work with who's, who's perhaps 18 months into their training. Um, so it kind of looks after itself, which is, which is great. The team get flexibility in terms of the type of work they're doing, a bit of bookkeeping, a bit of that, a bit of accounts, uh, and so on. So I think um, it's it's being confident in your ability to grow uh, and then being really focused on, on ensuring that you're really clear with career progression opportunities. When we were uh, much earlier in our, in our growth, um, uh, I remember a particular time very, uh, very clearly, very vividly. It was 2015 um, and we lost our first bunch of, of staff and we lost six staff in the period of eight weeks. Um, and it was almost like a domino effect. So one went and it was like, hey, it's OK to leave. Uh, and it was like this exodus to the, to the door. Um, and and I kind of struggled with it for for some time in terms of what what did I do wrong what what happened um and when we started to talk to people about the reasons they were moving on they said things like I can't see any career progression and and bearing in mind this is a firm that at this point was I don't know 25 staff we were going 40 percent a year uh, and I'm sitting there as the owner thinking do you guys are meant to kind of be intelligent training accountants here and you can't see that with this growth, there's going to be career progression opportunities. And, and it was my fault. Of course, it was my fault. It was, I was a business owner. Um, um, I wasn't communicating and articulating the vision. I wasn't clearly articulating where we were going as a firm. We weren't really doing performance appraisal. We didn't have competency frameworks. So we hadn't sat down and said to people, look, if you want to do this role, these are the skills you've got to develop here's a plan to do it. And this is how we're going to help you do it. So it's really, really important that you're, uh, you take the time to communicate um, what you're trying to achieve, what the opportunities are for, for the people in your, in your firm, because you can't leave people to make that, that uh, assumption um, them, themselves, however clever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that they've, they've got to understand where they fit, what the potential is, what the opportunities are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good. Uh, very good points there. I've got a, a question coming in from Neil. If, anyone, if you have a question, please do put them in the comments. That's what uh, we're here to uh, to answer. So um, w- 
Neil is asking, Will, can you please explain the scenario around your first hire? What turnover were you? How many clients did you have, et cetera? What triggered the action to look for your first employee? So yeah, I think there's a quite a few people are here in a similar position as Neil. So I think that would be quite useful if you can kind of go back to, to those days when, uh, when you first thought, yeah, I need to get someone in to help me. How, how, you know, how soon did that happen? Um, so, uh, so the very first person I, I hired uh, was um, somebody to do payroll. Um, and uh, I, it's still something that I look back on and, and, and uh, is, is a kind of indicator of the type of approach that I wanted in, in the firm from very early on. Um, and it, was, it would have been 2008. Um, it was at a time when uh, it was director payrolls were you could file an annual pre-RTI. Um, so end of the year, you'd say, yeah, director took this much money. Um, but I wanted to send a payslip to every client every month. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that is it creates a touch point. So it creates a client touch point. Um, now, I didn't have time to, to kind of email. I don't know what it was. Maybe uh, uh, Neil was asking about number of clients. I would have thought we were probably at about 60 clients or so at that point. Um, I didn't want to have to keep sending 60 payslips a month. Um, so I took somebody on part-time to help me with payroll. Um, and a bit of admin uh, to let me focus on the stuff that I needed to be to be doing in terms of doing the work, but also developing new business. Um, and uh, Vicky came on and, and, and did payroll for us. And she'd send a payslip and a client would say, email back and say, hey, thanks for the payslip, Vicky. Oh, and by the way, can you help me with this? So instantly we were creating kind of client touch points when we didn't have to. It was it was proactivity that everybody says hey we're proactive accountants really what do you do um and and sending a monthly payslip isn't overly proactive but but actually when you look at what most do it, it it kind of is um but it creates an engagement with the client um i then took on uh, a couple of part-time people in fairly uh, quick succession um a couple of years in um uh, by which point we were probably doing about um getting on 400k revenue uh so so not 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 huge numbers um both came in part-time initially both ended up becoming full-time employees um and and it, it it went from there and generally our firm has doubled in size every three years as a, as a broad role that's in terms of of revenue uh, and staff headcount yeah absolutely hopefully that answers your question Neil. just just to, to, to follow on from that will i mean you know, a lot of uh, accounting firm owners, sole practitioners are fearful of, of hiring, of making that investment into bringing on additional team members to help them to grow. What kind of mindset, if you remember what, what it was back then, what kind of mindset did you have? And what kind of, I guess, it's confidence, right? The belief in yourself that you were going to grow, that you wanted to take the firm places that allowed you to then say, yeah, I need to bring somebody on board to help me out with this because I can't do everything. What would you kind of, I guess, say to, to firm owners in that situation where they're teetering between, should I take someone on, should I not? What if I don't manage to bring on board the business to sustain the additional members that uh, that I've employed now? So yeah, do you want, do you want to add something on that? Um, yes, yeah, so I, think, I think the belief in what you're doing is, is key. Um, and I think if you make a conscious decision of, of way, where you want to, to be, um, that's half the battle. So knowing that by, by that point, this is, this is the level of business that I want. 
to deliver that. This is the number of people I want. Um, and I think one of, whilst, whilst I had a, a broad view of that, um, uh, one of the, the mistakes I made very early on is making an assumption that the growth was going to slow because I was a new business and we were doing, I don't know, year, year, uh, year one to two, we kind of did 100% growth. And it's like, well, yeah, of course that's going to happen because I'm a new business and we're, we're, we're doing something a bit different. Um, it's it's going to slow down. Um, and we moved offices four times in five years um, because I didn't expect the growth to continue at the rate that it that it did. Um, but I think you don't. It's it's the entrepreneurial spirit, and and you have to be prepared to take a risk. Um, uh, if you if you don't take the risk, you're not going to grow. It, it's it's kind of almost that black and white. If you if you don't take on that extra member of staff, then you're consciously thinking or unconsciously thinking about well, I can only do so much, I've only got so many hours, or I'm going to kill myself doing 100 hours a week. Um, so you're creating limitations on your ability to grow. Um, uh, so if you've, if you've started a firm and you're 12 months in and you've got 50 clients, you can grow an accounting firm because you've got 50 clients in a year. And it gets easier because... The more clients you've got, the more critical mass you've got, the more referrals you get. Um, and, and a good friend of mine once said to me that, that um, whilst we shouldn't rely on referrals, if you as an accounting firm are not getting 70% of your new business from referrals, stop and look very closely at what you're doing. Because what it means is you're not doing a very good job. Um, so there's something not working. If 70% of your new business isn't coming from, from referrals, something isn't working in your firm. Um, mm-hmm. Because the start point is you satisfy the clients you've got, they're going to go and tell somebody else. So it's, it's, we can't sit back and just rely on referrals. We know that. But equally, most of your business should be coming from referral. So the more clients you've got, the more referrals you get, the more clients you get. And, and it's a the snowball, snowball. topical at the moment looking out the window um just kind of kind of builds um but if you if you don't resource for that growth you have problems and equally when you start growing if you don't resource for that growth growth fast enough that causes problems too um and then uh, one of the other challenges that we had is we also weren't pricing right we thought we were really really clever doing fixed fees and having everybody pay us on monthly it's a great model as long as you remember to review it every year and we went eight years and didn't review it and got to a point where it's like we've got a problem here because we haven't got the resource to service the clients we've got and we can't afford to take on new resource because we're not charging enough it's kind of a really dangerous place to be and and something has to give uh, in that situation because it's a it's a circle and a loop and you get caught in it and it's really hard to get out yeah absolutely i was going to ask you about client experience but if we could, we just stay on the topic of pricing given that you've uh, raised it so at what point did you kind of say to yourself right i need to really get a handle on this i need to sort out my pricing what did you do how did you go about it and what kind of systems in place do you have now to ensure that you are pricing for you know uh the value that you're generating yeah um so day day one part of the vision of of final clark was that um i had the benefit of not training in practice so i had no preconceptions about how to run an accounting firm mm-hmm. so therefore i started with a blank sheet of paper and said hey i'm a client 
what do I, what do I want? And one of those things was, I want to know what I'm paying for. I want to know what I get for what I pay for. Um, so the whole idea of, of, of fixed fee pricing um, uh, in 2007 was, was kind of fairly novel. Um, it wasn't something that lots of people were doing. People were still time recording. They were charging by the hour. Um, uh, and I said from day one, it's a fixed fee. You're going to pay it monthly um, in the days before go cardless. Can you imagine kind of uh, <laughs> clients paying by standing order? Um, and uh, and if you cast your mind back uh, around about 2009-10, we had three VAT rate changes. Um, and the problem with standing orders is the client has to change it. Um, so I think uh, as, as, as recent as two years ago, we had somebody still paying a 17.5% VAT um, <laughs> on their standing orders. But, uh, um, so fixed fee was, was kind of a key approach uh, for us from day one. Um, and uh, I thought I'd, I'd kind of done a, a good job in terms of getting clients to sign up. Uh, we gave them a monthly fee. They paid us monthly eventually when they signed up to the standing order. Um, uh, and it, it was really easy because the money came in every month. Um, it led us into lots of false senses of security because people were paying before we did the bulk of the work. Um, so you'd think, this is great. Money's coming in and we're surviving on our four members of staff. Then you had to do the work and it was like, oh, I've got a problem now because we need to go out and recruit some people to deliver all this work. Um, and then you'd feel like there's only just enough cash coming in. And then the cash would start building again as you took on new clients. And this is that point about not planning your resource far enough in advance and planning for that growth because we got into a situation where we were desperate to recruit, which meant we recruited long people that created a whole bunch of other challenges that we might get onto. Um, but clients paid every month. So you kind of forget about it. You sign up a client and your focus is then on the new clients that are coming in. So you might change your pricing for the new clients, but you ignore the old clients. You don't ignore the old clients, but you know what I mean? You don't revisit what they're paying. Um, and literally we went eight years um, before we actually sat and thought, hang on a second, all these clients that we priced eight years ago, we've never changed in price. And, and the best example I use regularly to highlight how dangerous this is, is I took on a client in 2008. Uh, they were a partnership. We incorporated them. We, uh, we sold them what, of course, I thought they wanted to buy, which was compliance because that's kind of – the, the the view that many accountants have of they don't want to buy advisory so we'll just we'll just tell them and present a package to them um for the things that they have to have and not the things that they might want to have but that's another topic um so we quoted them at 125 pound a month whatever the figure was when i reviewed their fees eight years later um they were turning over 1.6 million they had 34 staff that we were doing the payroll for and they were still paying me 125 pound a month wow um, they were delighted naturally um and uh, and clearly we, it was a it was an interesting conversation um but you might be surprised to know that they were happy to pay us more money um when we had the conversation with them um but that's the point if you if you go down a route of of fixed fee and monthly billing you've got to build in a process to make sure that you tackle it so Fast forward 2015, um, we, we, we started to, to see real challenges in the firm. Uh, we'd grown very, very quickly and we kind of hit a wall. Um, and this, this cycle that I mentioned a moment ago in terms of client delivery was beginning to suffer. 
um, externally. Um, we were the we were the shining shining light. Um, uh, Twenty sixteen, we won three awards at the British Accountancy Awards um, for best firm east of England, um, best uh, most innovative firm, uh, independent firm, and we also won most innovative firm uh, overall. And we beat Deloitte and PKF Cooper Parry to win that award. Um, it was our worst year as a business mm-hmm. when we won those awards. Um, so externally. We were doing great stuff internally. We were hamsters and we were running really fast on a wheel um, to just keep up. And our focus was trying to keep clients happy. We ignored what was going on internally in the business and it couldn't go on and we had to fix it. And we went through a process over probably three years that was completely rebuilding our firm. Um, So we brought in uh, our MD um, uh, who wasn't from accounting he, he started life as a as a management accountant but ended up in kind of operations management type roles because we needed somebody to fit just fix stuff um and fees was the first thing we had to fix so we went through a process over two years of repricing our entire client base um uh, or our limited company client base which was about 600 clients at that point uh, in time and uh uh we did fee reviews across the whole 600 clients. Um, and over the years running up to this, I'd been working with, uh, with, a, with a mentor and, and a bunch of other people had said to me, you've got to put your prices up. And I'd say, yeah, but I can't because the service isn't good enough. We can't afford to lose the clients. Even if we're not making any money on them, we need the cash flow. So I created all these excuses and, and, and was constantly told, you won't lose your clients. They won't go. Um, just have the conversations. Um, and we did. And I think over the first year, um, we put, uh, uh, or over two years, we put 150 grand on our bottom line through fee increases, through price increases. In year one, out of 600 clients, we lost 12. Um, we worked out we could have lost a third of our client base if the other two thirds paid the right fee. So we could have we could have made the same amount of money with 400 clients as we were making with 600 clients if the 400 that stayed paid the right fee. Um, so the interesting point as well, of course, is that the 12 that we lost, guess what? They're the ones that would probably have, have crossed off anyway. Mm-hmm. So... It, it worked. I mean, that's the, that's the point. It was, it was a painful exercise. It was a time consuming exercise. Um, we had to do message by email as well, because you can't, you can't have 600 face-to-face conversations with people about fees. Um, some of the more contentious ones we had conversations with, um, but broadly it was done on email. And some of it was just, Hey, look, it's six years since we last put your fee up. And since then you've taken on X number of new staff, you've got turnovers grown, the fees got to go up. Uh, and and clients accepted it now we have a process and we review uh fees in the run-up to year end so uh what are we now we're we're february so we're now beginning to start thinking about april year end clients what their fee review is going to be what their new fee is going to look like for their next financial year um and we're we're using we're using go proposal for for pricing we're using uh, we're actually using a a, a, a bit of a chunk of systems um but go proposal gave us the uh the structure to rethink our pricing we we constantly tweak it it's it's evolving in terms of of how we how we use it um but it's really really important and i think the key thing with pricing isn't 
a case of people get pricing wrong, they get management of scope wrong. Um, and, and that leads to poor pricing because they do stuff that's out of scope and don't charge for it or don't charge enough for it. Um, and that's the bigger problem that, that whether it's go proposal, whether it's practice ignition, um, it just gives you the ability to manage scope. And if you can manage scope, pricing becomes much easier. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, you've raised some very valid points there. And the one about the, you know, uh, not appreciating that, even if you put the prices up for your clients by X percentage, even if you lose, like you said, a third of them, you'd still be making more money or at least break even. And it's funny how, you know, we as accountants, we learn all this in our exams. We learn about break even analysis, but we ourselves can't come Ignore to terms it. with actually putting the numbers through on a spreadsheet to say, even if I put my prices up by 30%, what percentage of customers can I afford to lose to yeah. remain in the same place as I am now? And yeah. I mean, I do this exercise with business owners when I'm talking to them about their pricing. But equally, we as accountants should be doing it on our own portfolios um, because the numbers are just staggering. And it means that you can actually afford to lose a large chunk, which means that you won't be doing as much work and still be making the same level of profit. So yeah, if you're listening and you haven't done your break-even analysis on how much you can afford to increase your prices by and what level of customers you can afford to lose, go and do that now. Um, so Will, talk to me about clearly you have a, um, a focus on client experience. So what uh, tangible takeaways can we give the audience? What are you doing on client experience? How are you ensuring that you are now delivering great client experience to ensure that clearly uh, clients stay for the long term and uh, recommend and refer you on to their friends and family? Yeah, so I think I think the first point is understanding what we mean by client experience. And, and for me, it's it's how how do we make a client feel? Um, and I think that's that's the distinction, isn't it? We can we can talk about client service, um, and and for me, delivering good client service is what we refer to as a critical success factor. If you don't do it, you don't have any clients. So it's the stuff we've got to do just to stay in business. It's not the stuff that's going to give you a competitive advantage over all of the other accountants within. Uh, it doesn't even matter what radius are in anymore because we work with clients all around the country and, and, and we've got international clients as well. So experience is the bit that creates the differentiator. So how do you, how do you impact the way you make a client feel? Um, and when we talk about client experience, we're talking about the, the sum total of every touch point of that client from the point that, that you, you kind of engage with them through content or whatever to the point that they move on or whatever they do. Um, so the first point is the sum of that is going to be greater the more you have. So touch points are critical. Um, so some of the stuff that, uh, that, that, that we, we do, we spent a lot of time looking at onboarding and we have uh, what we call a welcome team that, that um, uh, works with new clients for the first three months in terms of setting expectations, um, uh, educating them on the way we work and the systems that we use, what we expect from them, what they get from us and so on, making that relationship work. Um, for me, it's, it's about how do we increase the number of touch points it comes back to daily bookkeeping again. So for me, the experience starts with with what we do for them on a on a daily basis. We position it to clients as a weekly service because what we don't want is to set an expectation that we're going to chase them every day for the for the two pound twenty they spent on their debit card because it just kind of would would probably irritate people. Um, 
but we're processing their transactions on a daily basis. And as part of that onboarding, we're encouraging them to send stuff to us as they get it. Um, so what we're doing on a weekly basis is we're following up with those clients for missing information. It means we give them live data. It also means we have a conversation with them once a week, whether that be by email or we pick the phone up. That creates great relationships. And when you have great relationships with clients, you get to understand what keeps them awake at night. You get to understand their pain points, their aspirations, their goals, all the things that are important to enable you to over deliver almost. I know we don't want to over deliver when we're not charging for it, but there's also an element of that over delivery is about the experience that, that we're creating. We want people to say, yet yeah, they go the extra mile. That's that's kind of how one of the ways we're going to measure that. Um, but uh, uh, you take the, 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 the fact that we position our bookkeeping as weekly, but we're doing it every day. So instantly we're over-servicing. Um, yeah. But it means that the client can log up. They've, they've done that already. It's all the bank's reconciled. I know where I'm at. I know that that Fred paid me yesterday or, or whatever it might it might be. But it creates the opportunities for those, those kind of broader um advisory conversations that that we we want to have um and we measure mps um so uh, uh uh mps is is kind of fairly fairly critical in terms of 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 where we where we sit and and it's it's one of those ways that we get a benchmark because it's really subjective in terms of asking clients for feedback but at least with mps while it's uh, uh, a fairly high level indicator um, it's something that you can benchmark. So you know that if you've got a positive number, hey, you're doing okay. Um, uh, but last time we did uh, our MPS school, we were 77, um, sorry, 72. Starbucks is 77, Apple is 72. So we were on par with with Apple, which is which is great. So clearly we're, do, we're doing something right. Um, so getting that understanding of, of how clients kind of see your performing um mps gives you a measure to say are we going up or are we going down when we introduced some of our flexible working uh, stuff a couple of years back um that was directly linked to nps because when we said to our staff hey guys you can work when when how you want and you can take as much holiday as you want as long as the client's delighted that's the the catch at the end of it so how do we make sure the client remains delighted if our mps score dropped we'd have had to revisit and say, hey guys, this isn't working because clients are not as satisfied now as they were 12 months ago. So something isn't working in, in the way that you're managing your resource. Um, so how do you make a client feel? Um, regular touch points um, uh, and asking them how you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. What do you use to um, uh, your do your MPS scores and how... How often, and do you find it's the same ones that respond every time? And how do you make sure that, you know, you can get uh, higher coverage amongst your client base rather than the same people responding every every time? Um, so I think familiarity um, uh, is with with the concept um, uh, is the main thing at the moment. It's it's kind of an annual annual thing. I mean, uh, we 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 talk about different ways we we can we can perhaps do it on a more regular basis. Um, we recently took on a head of marketing um, that, that's going to be looking at, at how we can can embed it more into process. Um, I think it's it's always going to be fairly subjective in terms of the response rates you get. I think we our last one we got about twenty three percent response rate, um, which actually is pretty good. 
um, for uh, for MPS, it, it's generally around about fifteen percent mark. So uh, uh, so that's that's good. Um, but I think it's consistency, uh, getting people understanding why you're doing it, um, uh, doing it at a regular enough interval that, that people don't know what they're asking that for. Um, it's got to be part of, of what you uh, what you do. And it can be really easy. We just did it with MailChimp um, uh, and, and took the numbers and plugged it into a calculator and it does the calculation for you. But it's not it's not a difficult calculation anyway. Um, uh, so it's a fairly straightforward metric to use, but it's really powerful because it, it gives you that, yes, we're better than we were last year or better than we were last quarter. However you do it, it gives you a benchmark and the ability to be able to say, if Starbucks is 77 and, and Barclays Bank's 14, whatever it might be, you get an idea of, of where you are. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you all. We, we do a similar thing. Um, we actually use SurveyMonkey and they've got the calculation in there. So when it goes out yep. by SurveyMonkey, they do the calculation for you, which helps to kind of just get that number. But uh, yeah, I totally agree to get the to get your employees' mindsets uh, linked to the outputs that they're delivering rather than yep. inputs. And hmm. uh, that then helps them focus their efforts on the right things rather than just inputs on a timesheet and then they think they've done work but actually what is the what is the output what is the benefit that a client has got from what they have done that day yeah so just a few minutes left will we should close up by quarter two just so lastly just uh, what is your what is your uh, what are your views on the future where where do the the next five years uh, do you think will be and, and where will you be where where are you kind of taking your firm in the next five years just to kind of leave that as, uh, as food for thought for our, our audience today yeah um so i think if we if we just take a, a moment, something you mentioned very early on in in the in this session in terms of uh, uh the people that are likely to be watching this are going to be uh, uh on the cloud the cloud journey mm-hmm. um my own view of adoption at the moment is that we're still only at about 20 percent adoption um, uh, so anybody that is is already doing this stuff in their accounting firm is already in the top quartile of firms in the UK. Um, many other uh, uh, countries are, are behind that. You take US, Canada, they're, they're, they're behind that 20%. Uh, last time I spoke to somebody that had reasonable knowledge of it, Australia was at about 50%. Um, adoption and um, so this is in terms of end user adoption which translates quite nicely into a- accounting firm adoption and you take something like receipt bank somebody might be using receipt bank and therefore they're in receipt banks partner numbers of about 10,000 partners globally there's 34,000 accounting firms in the UK um, so even if we said 7,000 of receipt banks partners um, uh, are UK that's still only 20% of the UK market. And that's somebody that's a partner. And you can be a receipt bank partner if you're paying them 199 quid a month or whatever the current figure is. You might have 300 clients, but 10 of them are using receipt bank. Mm. So does that really mean you're doing cloud accounting? No, it doesn't. Um, so the first point is don't undervalue where you are on the journey in comparison to the majority of accounting firms in the UK that are still nowhere near it yet. So you are, you are still early adopters is, is point one. So where is it going? The rest of the market are going to catch up, but equally um, I think it's really important. We start to look at, at 
the convergence of, of banking and accounting general ledgers um, and where that's going to go. Um, QuickBooks in the US um, have QuickBooks Live, which is their, their bookkeeping platform um, where they're using their pro advisors to deliver bookkeeping services. They also have QuickBooks Cash, which is a bank. So Intuit will pay uh, their users 1% interest on money that they have in their QuickBooks bank account. Um, it gives them the ability to lend money. Free agent in the UK is owned by NatWest. Um, uh, and there's convergence there. They're giving free agent away to, to NatWest RBS bank customers. You've got Counting Up and Coconut that are uh, um, uh, essentially a banking tool with bookkeeping functionality in the app that, that is at some point in the future, I'm sure, going to give users the ability to file their tax returns. So if your focus is on the lower end of the sole trader market, you have significant risk facing you in the coming years. And that means that people are going to want to move up the food chain. So those accountants that are heavily reliant on self-employed sole traders are going to say, well, actually, you know what, I need to move up and start working with limited companies, smaller limited companies. We've got IR35 that's going to wipe out a whole load of contractors, freelancers from the self-employed space. So I guess what I'm saying is that there is huge pressure that's, that's kind of converging on us in terms of, of what has been our bread and butter money for, for a long, long time. So we have to be really conscious coming back to things like client experience. What do we deliver? How do we, how do we perform above uh, our, our local competition? What are the opportunities for us to delve deeper into the client relationship in terms of other things that we can deliver for our clients. So fascinating um, five years ahead. The changes that I've seen over 10 years pale into insignificance compared to what we're going to see in the next five in terms of the impact the technology has on, on what we do as accountants. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Will, for sharing those uh, words of wisdom and uh, no doubt lots of change for us ahead. I hope you find that useful. If you're listening, um, let us know if there's any questions, feel free to put them in. I think Will's in the group now, so he'll be happy to answer them, I'm sure. Um, you're probably wondering why on earth have I brought Will on because we're, we're perhaps maybe seen as competitors because we both offer mentoring to accountants, but I come a very, from a very abundant mindset here in that, you know, the more um, people that are sharing their stories, sharing their journeys about what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, so that you can learn from someone who's been in your footsteps, then the better. So, um, Will, if people want to find out more about what you do, what should they do? Where should they go? Uh, so uh, by all means, have a look at what we're doing at Final Clark. Uh, so it's finalclarkwithme.co.uk um, and the work that, that I do with firms, software vendors um, is all at willfarnell.com. Uh, so, uh, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, always happy to uh, uh, to share. And likewise, um, uh, we uh, lots of us that are working with, with accountants in space have, have different experiences, different perspectives, um, uh, and I think it's really useful to uh, to, to share those. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, the offer to come and come and chat with you, Reza. Thank you. Very welcome. That's great. No, it, it's great how the you know the, we have this collaborative uh, uh, environment amongst accountants these days, which you know ten years ago was unheard <laughs> of. So you know if you're listening, then you know make the most of it. Make the most of these Facebook groups, or LinkedIn, connecting with other accountants 
sharing your ideas, supporting each other and together. Like uh, Will said, we are kind of early adopters already. So let's keep that momentum going. Let's keep evolving, innovating for the betterment of our clients and their futures and our futures ultimately as well. So I hope you found that useful today. Thank you so much for attending this session and uh, have a great week and I'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.